the message is today titled The Peaceful Fruit of Righteousness. The Peaceful Fruit of Righteousness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask please that you would come and calm our hearts and our minds that we could sit and just listen to your word and let it soak deep into our hearts. For there's a change you desire to make in us today. Lord, would you come and quicken by the power of your Holy Spirit supernaturally something I can't do. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to open for you today what may be a new idea, a new concept. But it's much more than that. It's the road all of us must take if we're going to enter into the heavenly realm. If we're going to go to heaven, then what I'm going to share with you today is the very heart regarding what God is attempting to do in your life. Now, I'm also going to say that what I'm going to say to you today is for the mature, for those who are serious about following Jesus. It's not for those who are the fluff. They're for people who are serious. Otherwise, when you hear what I'm going to say, you'll run. And you would be well advised to run if you're not serious about Jesus. Because once you've heard this, you can't unhear it. It will be there. And you're going to have to live day after day with the knowledge that you heard this word of God. For me, it's frightening. I pray it will be for you as well. But it is the way of the cross. And that's what the gospel is all about. It is the way of the cross. Jesus was crucified on that cross. He died for us. And now he comes that we would be crucified with him and die with him that we could enter into the resurrection. So today is not going to be about coming to the cross and seeing how rugged it is. It needs some practical crucifixion time. And that's what this message is about. About what it means to be crucified with Christ. And what it does not mean to be crucified with Christ. Now there are several books in the New Testament that give a complete picture of the gospel, the most famous of which, of course, is the book of Romans. To me, second to Romans is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews outlines from the very beginning to the very conclusion what is necessary for a man or woman to do in a practical application of the gospel in order to enter into eternity successfully. And if we're not here to enter into eternity with Jesus, we're here for the wrong reasons. The only reason to be here today is for Jesus Christ and to spend eternity with him. Now, you may just be deciding, do I want to spend time with Jesus? That's a legitimate question. But if you do... I've been saying to some of our young people, are you willing to be a Jesus woman? Are you willing to be a Jesus man? In other words, your identity is in Jesus. You have no identity outside of him. So in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, very quickly in review, we find out who Jesus is. In chapter 2, that continues with a warning not to neglect who this Jesus Christ is. He is God. He is fully God and fully man. In chapter 3, we find the faithfulness of Jesus. 
Chapter 4, we find the promise now of entering into the rest of Jesus Christ. Now, let's be clear what the rest is we're speaking of. It is our works with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus our life with the tree of life. Hebrews refers to the tree of life as our place of rest. Jesus is the tree of life. On the other side is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I would have named it something else. I would have called it the death tree. The life tree and the death tree. Because that's the effect. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil is going to bring forth acid. Poison. If that tree of the knowledge of good and evil gets a root started in you, it will be an acid root. The word bitterness in Scripture is from the root meaning of acid, which kills. Chapter 5, the author begins to tell us about the high priest of another order, that Jesus becomes the Melchizedekan priesthood, and it's forever. Chapter 7 is the unfolding of that priesthood and the depths of that priesthood. And the writer of the book of Hebrews at chapter 6 says, okay, can we stop talking about the inconsequential comparatively things, can we talk about the really serious steps necessary to begin to walk with this Jesus under the priesthood of Melchizedek? Chapter 9, we're told about the earthly sanctuary, and then about the heavenly sanctuary. In chapter 10, we're told that there's no possible way that animal sacrifices can take away our sin can't remove sin. And that only the blood of Jesus can wash away our sin. And in chapter 10, we find very severe warnings about those who willfully continue to sin after they've received a knowledge of the truth, that they will be consumed with fire. So the expectation of the writer of the book of Hebrews is that we will not walk in sin. Then we come to chapter 11, and we find that there is a rhema word of God. There is a a revelation of divine will requiring our cooperation, our courage, our sacrifice, requiring everything of us to fulfill that rhema word of God, the God-breathed word, to us personally to direct our life steps. And in chapter 11, we find each person being identified from from Abel and Enoch, from Noah to Abraham to Moses, Sarah. All of them are listed. And, And why? Because it's talking about the process they went through to move from rebellion and unbelief to righteousness. So there's examples are given to us so that we can do the same, so that we can enter into that kingdom above. Then we come to chapter 12, and now we get down to the real nuts and bolts of what it's going to mean for you to be a Christian and to successfully complete this journey. I'm going to read the first verses because we've already spoken about those in the past, you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and find the full sermon and full radio messages on the first part of chapter 12. But as review, let me read it. I'm reading from the Lavender New Testament translation. So then we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, having already taken off and laid aside every conceivable weight and 
the easily ensnaring sin, through endurance, may we run the race being set before us. So let's, let's begin right up front. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it will require endurance. This is not a quick, oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved, I'm on my way, everything's cool. No, this is going to be a race, and it's going to require dramatic changes in your life, and it's going to require great endurance on your part to run the race set before us, looking away unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith. Remember Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And that word in the Greek literally means it has been brought to a complete conclusion. In other words, heaven is saying everything heaven can do for you, they've done. All of all of the gifts of heaven, Ephesians, the first chapter, everything God could give you has been given to you. And now it's up to you to take advantage of what has been given to you. And you know what? If somebody came to me and said, Ray, I just deposited a million dollars in the church's checkbook. Just deposited it. Just transferred it to the church account. And I said, thank you very much. And then I came to you all and I said, you know, we just don't have the money to do FM radio. We don't have the money to go national. You'd say, what? I thought somebody just deposited a million dollars in the church account, and that's enough for one year of national radio. Well, it is, but, you know, I, I just don't know how to do it. I, you know, I just wish we had the money to do it. What? You'd say, you're insane, Pastor. If you say to me, you know, I just keep struggling with this sin. I can't overcome it. I'm going to say you're insane. Because it's all been deposited in the bank of heaven in your name. There are no excuses before God for not walking clean before him. The provision was made at the cross. When Jesus died, he made provision for you to become the person he wants you to be. Now, he continues, who for the joy set before him endured a cross, having disregarded shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I want to tell you today, please, there's room on that throne for you to sit today. And if you're not seated right now experientially at the right hand of God, it's not God's fault. It's because you have not been willing to receive what God wants to give you, or you have not understood how to access it. After today, you will not be able to say, I don't know how to access it. The first step in moving toward success and victory in the life of the Christian is to go back and consider the one having endured such rebellion by the sinners against himself. In other words, part of where we need to go is into the scripture to look at how people treated Jesus. He would heal a blind man, and the scribes and the Pharisees would be angry with him. He would heal a woman who for many years had been hunched over, looking up like this in pain and anguish, and he healed her on the Sabbath day, and they said, why don't you heal on another day? Well, why don't you heal at all? How many years has she been coming to the synagogue and you never healed her? Part of what the writer of Hebrews is saying is we need to go back and understand that people are not going to love us necessarily on this journey to heaven. And if you want everybody to be happy with you, you're living in some kind of fantasy world. One of the first things I had to learn in ministry is that I could not convince everybody in the church to love me. Some would come to church 
and sit there and look at me with daggers. And after about three months in the ministry, I was walking around hunched over like this, like an old man. And I went to the doctor. I said, I don't understand. I've never had this. I'm just all hunched over. And the doctor said, when did you start your new job? After he carefully examined me, he said, there's nothing wrong with you. He said, I think you better reconsider your life work. You're not cut out to be a pastor. You want everybody to be happy with you. And you're preaching in a way where nobody's happy with you. Am I right? Well, yes. I think the average age of my congregation was 70 or 75. The youngest kid in the church was in his 60s. And they didn't like this new upstart pastor coming out of seminary with all of these new ideas. I don't blame them. I was a little crazy. But somehow... I had to learn right at the get-go, you better preach the truth of God and forget about how people receive it. It may break your heart, but let the word be the word. So today I'm going to preach that. I'm going to let the word be the word. You must consider the one having endured such rebellion by the sinners against himself so that you may not be discouraged in your souls, losing heart. We get discouraged when our expectations are not met. When you want somebody to love you and they don't love you the way you want them to love you or they don't love you at all and they say things to you and they do things to you, And you say, what did I do to deserve that? And you get really angry. He's saying, if you look at Jesus and his example, you're not going to be discouraged in your soul anymore, and you're not going to lose heart. Again, it comes back to, what are your expectations? Do you expect your wife to love you a certain way? Do you expect your husband to love you a certain way? If your expectations are not met and you then begin to be discouraged and grind your teeth, you're in trouble. Right? You did not yet oppose to the point of blood, contending against the sin And you've forgotten the exhortation which reasons with you as with sons. Now, follow me. This is Hebrews, the 12th chapter. The 5th and 6th verse. My son, my daughter. You must not regard lightly discipline from the Lord. Neither become weary under his chastening. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and corrects every son whom he receives. You endure because of discipline. What's he saying? The only reason you're told you must endure is because God is going to discipline you. God is going to begin to bring into your life what he needs to bring at the level he needs to bring it to cause you to finally give up your expectations, to finally deal with your inner heart. So he's saying, treat every hardship that comes into your life as discipline from God. Now, When that discipline comes, you can be filled with bitterness and rage. And if you do, you are going to destroy what God is trying to bring into your life. He is trying to bring into your life the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness only comes out of the endurance and pain dealing with everything that comes at you. God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? 
Now, if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate son and not a real son. Some people in the world who seem to have everything, they seem to be making money hand over fist, they can't do anything wrong, everything they touch turns to gold. They have the right wife, they have all the right toys, they have the right cars, they have the right houses, they have the vacation house, they have everything they want on this world. And some of you have said to me, why is that, Pastor? Because they have totally blown off the Lord God of heaven. And God has no way to get a handle on their life. Discipline is the means by which God gets a handle on your life to begin to change you into his likeness. Furthermore, we used to have fathers of our flesh to discipline us, and we were respecting them. Will we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits, and we will live? For they, for a few days, used to discipline us according to the things seeming good to them, but he for the thing benefiting us. For as us, for us to partake in his holiness... So in other words, all of these things that come into our lives, whether naturally or by the hand of God, it's his intention to use that in your life to bring you into holiness. Now, what is holiness? Holiness is simply another word for purity. It is the state of continual sanctification. A life of purity is a life of detachment from the world and all of its lusts. It is single focused on Jesus. Now, some of you today in this house, I know because I know you, you have many interests. You have widespread interests on every hand. You love this and you love that and, oh, this is wonderful. God brings discipline into our lives so that we begin finally to separate the essential from the non-essential. So that we begin to see... what it is that will open the gate of heaven for us and what it is that will shut that gate down. And we have all kinds of emotional responses to those things that happen to us. You go into a place and the person you have to speak to at the counter is rude. And so rage rises up in our heart. How do you dare treat me this way? And even if you don't say it, you feel it. And I don't know about you, but I have often walked away and I'll chew for an hour on, I wish I'd said. If it ever happens to me again, I'm going to tell them. And then the Holy Spirit will convict me. And he'll say, let it go, Ray. Let it go. You You cannot afford to give them a piece of your mind. You need all of your mind. So keep your mind. Don't give it away. So all of these responses come, and it's in these responses that the heart is uncovered so that we see really what's going on in our inner being. So someone who speaks to us in a harsh way, in a disrespectful way, and uncovers for us the rage has simply given us the gift of showing us what resides in us when somebody bounces against us, jostles us. What what bounces out? What splashes out? Battery acid. Not Jesus. Or he'll let us see something, oh, that's beautiful. And we get car fever. Ever had car fever? Gotta have it. 
he, he, he allows these things to come to us so that we can see what in reality is in our inner heart and our inner being. And if we just blow that off, we have missed an opportunity to receive the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let me read this for you. Verse 11. Now all discipline for the present does not seem to be joyful, but painful. Then later it gives back the peaceful fruit of righteousness to the one having been trained by it. So all of the agony that comes into our hearts is simply for the purpose of unveiling the inner being so that God can deal with that and transform us into his likeness so that he can give to us this peaceful fruit of righteousness. And righteousness simply means innocence. He wants to give us peaceful innocence. So there's not rage in our hearts. There's not lust in our hearts. There's not selfishness in our hearts. There's not recrimination or accusation. There's sweetness in the inner being. This is what we're being trained for. Therefore, you must, and he's now going to give us four very specific things that he wants us to do. Therefore, verse 12, you must strengthen the hands having been weak. So he's saying the first thing you need to do is in the face of all the difficulty that comes at you is look at your hands and grab a hold of Jesus Christ. Strengthen your hands. Don't become limp-limbed. Don't become a victim. Don't fall to everything's unfair. Nothing is right. Strengthen your hands. Number two, strengthen the knees that have become feeble. You know, I just can't bear this anymore. I'm out of here. You know, I'm headed somewhere. I've got to get out of this. I've got to escape. He's saying, stop. Strengthen your knees. How do you do that? By looking at what Jesus suffered and went through. By looking to Jesus. You know, the longer I look at the impossibility the more weak my hands become. And the more my knees tend to buckle. Are you kidding? I can't lift that weight. It's too much. I can't bear it anymore. I've had it. I'm done. I'm toast. You've never said that, have you? Every day. As one... Christian brother does that I have a great deal of respect for. He goes into the prayer closet. He brings his fear into the prayer closet. He brings the load of the day into the prayer closet. And he stays right there before the Lord with his eyes on Jesus until he's filled with the strength to go out and pick up the sword once more and go to the battle. Number three, verse 13 And you must make straight paths for your feet, that the lame may not be turned aside. No, it doesn't say you're lame. It says, strengthen your hands, strengthen your knees, and now walk it out straight, because there are people who are following you. Don't make their journey more difficult by accusing them or by dealing with them in any way that would make life hard for them. Make a straight path so others can follow your steps. Make straight paths for your feet, that the lame may not be turned aside, but rather may be healed. And four, you must pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which 
no one will see the Lord. Holiness, purity. Pursue, pursue purity. Now, this is not something God does in me. This is something I do. What's it mean? Keep your finger right there. We're coming back. But turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That is the normal life of the Christian. Then he says, you must come out from among them and be separated, says the Lord, and the unclean thing you must not touch. And I will receive you. So you go on the internet and you fill your mind with the unclean images, God's not going to receive you. You go to the mall and you fill your eyes with lusting after men or women or looking at unclean things, God will not receive you. You turn on the radio and you listen to music that is unclean. And I don't need to define that for you. I can assure you that if you and I sit down and we listen carefully to a piece of music, you will know whether that is clean or unclean music. I'm not going to argue with you about style of music. You know whether that's unclean or not. If you touch the unclean, God will not receive you. You will be blocked from the presence of God. It's that simple. If you follow the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, the lust of your heart, God will not receive you. You are barred from the presence of God. He goes on. I will be to you a father. That is, if you don't touch the unclean, I will be to you a father, and you will be to me sons and daughters, says the Lord, omnipotent. Chapter 7, therefore, having these promises, beloved, may we cleanse or purify ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness, perfecting heart purity. Perfecting heart purity. So, this is dealing with your mind. Vile and wicked thoughts may enter your mind. Satan has the power to plant them there. Your past being brought back. He can fill your heart with all kinds of filth. But you don't have to let it remain there. You can say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. I'm not that person anymore. I refuse to be made unclean before God. It is impossible to be thinking filthy thoughts, angry thoughts, bitter thoughts. It is impossible to do that. And sing a song of praise to Jesus. You cannot do it. You may be able to pat your head and rub your belly at the same time. But you cannot think wicked thoughts and praise Jesus at the same time. So how do we purify our hearts? By thinking pure thoughts. How do we think pure thoughts? By focusing on Jesus Christ. By filling our minds with the scriptures, by reading the New Testament 
especially the Gospels, filling our minds and our hearts with images of Jesus and what Jesus did. One of my favorite pastimes, when I have time to go outside on the patio and I just sit there and I listen to the birds think, I love to begin to run the stories of Jesus through my head. I'd love to just think about what did that woman feel like when she saw people looking at her because she was all hunched over? What would it have been to have been that woman to have Jesus come over and release my back? You can't think about that woman being released and not get a smile in your heart. Or the lepers, you ever felt unclean? Like you want to go take a shower? That leper knew he was filthy. His fingers were probably eaten away. His nose may have been eaten away. The stench was incredible. And Jesus said, go your way to the ten lepers. And as they went on their way, their healing was taking place. You fill your heart with thoughts of what Jesus did for for men and women like us. All filth is driven from your heart and from your mind. You walk in newness of life. This whole salvation process is about purity of heart and mind. He wants a church that is pure. Hearts that are pure. He doesn't want us to go back to the same filth of the world and be like pigs at the pig trough. Notice he says in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 15, seeing to it lest anyone Falling from the grace of God, let some root of bitterness grow up to cause many trouble, and by this may defile many with sin. He's saying, don't let the acid grow in your heart. You know, right now, are you angry with anyone? In your heart right now, are you saying how stupid someone is? Are you judging anybody? Do you think someone has treated you poorly? And you've been thinking about what you can say to them or do to them. Do you accuse people? Does rage build in your heart? All of that is a root of bitterness. He's saying, and by the way, the word bitterness in the Greek is literally acid. I found that interesting. Lest the root of acid grow up and may cause trouble and by this defile many with sin. Now it's interesting, in verse 16, he tells us exactly where bitterness will take a person. Fornication, sexual sin. That's where bitterness takes a person. It also turns us into a godless person like Esau, who in exchange for one meal sold his birthright. I was very interested in that word godless. What did it mean literally? What are the words in the Greek? I found it very interesting. A godless person. The word godless means threshold crosser. One who crosses a threshold. One who crosses a threshold in bitterness. And then cannot find any place of repentance. Notice lest some root of bitterness grow up, may cause trouble, and by this 
defile many with sin, lest anyone become a fornicator or a godless person like Esau, who in exchange for one meal sold his birthright. For you must know that even afterward, desiring to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, although having sought it with tears. Now, I need to expand that for just a moment, please. One of the things I am most grateful for in my life is that when I find I am not walking in accord with the will of God, and I turn to Him, I very quickly, by His grace, find a place of repentance. I find assurance in my heart that I've been heard. I have the peace of God come back into my heart. But what if I went to God and I tried to repent? And instead of finding the peace of God, I found greater and greater condemnation. Where I found there's no longer a place for me of repentance because I've crossed that threshold. And there's no place of repentance left for me. Now, I have to tell you that a place of repentance is the most precious gift Jesus could possibly give to us. To give to us a way back into his heart instead of casting us out. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person who will forgive someone and forgive someone and forgive someone, I may put up with that person for years. But I will finally come to a place where I will say, that's it. I'm done. They're out of my life. I'll never speak with them again. They've crossed the line. Now, Before, a year before, two years before, they did the same thing. And I forgave them. But finally, you come to a place where you say, I'm done with you. It's over. I can't help you. I can't spend one more moment trying to help you. You are a waste of time and energy. Now, I hate that judgment. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. And when it happens, I have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, is that you or is that me? Is that my flesh? Because I don't want to cut anybody off. But I want to tell you today, you can cross that threshold with God. And I don't know what your threshold with God is. You can cross that threshold in your marriage. I've had couples come and sit down with me. And as I listen to their history of their marriage, it is continual cutting of the cords of love. But not establishing new cords of love. Until finally they sit there and they say, Pastor, we're strangers, we're We're roommates in the house. We have nothing in common. I have no love in my heart for him. And he says, and I have no love for her. And my position has always been, okay, do you want to start over? Because God doesn't want you to divorce. But love is a decision. And here's what you're going to have to do if you're going to start over and build this relationship. But first, you have to agree you're not going to cut any more cords of love because you don't have any cords to spare. But with God, we finally come to a place where he says, okay, I will no longer grant you a place of repentance. I don't want that for any of you. I want God to have a place of repentance in his heart for you. Because for me, it is one of the richest places in heaven or earth to know that I'm forgiven 
and that by his blood I'm reinstated. That he loves me. And that it matters to me that he loves me. To Esau, all that mattered to him was He wanted the blessing that would prosper him in his future. And there was no place of blessing found for him. There are times when you can allow that root of bitterness to grow so deeply into your soul that you cause yourself and others much trouble and you defile many with your sin You become a fornicator. You become a godless person. I pray that none of you will be rejected by God as you come to him to find that place of repentance from impurity. So let's be very specific today. Hardship comes into our hearts and into our lives for the express purpose of causing us to see the depth of wickedness in our own hearts and to cause us to turn in repentance and find that place of repentance and make the decision that we will be pure before God. When those pornographic images come on or those images of utter violence and wickedness, You can decide to feast your eyes on that, or you can decide to turn it off. When you're faced with the lust of your flesh, I don't care whether it's with food, I don't care what it's with, you have the power to say, no, God gave you that power. when rage rises up in your heart and you say, but he makes me so mad, you know you're lying. Nobody can make me angry and nobody can make you angry except yourself. You make yourself angry. You choose the response you will have to the hardship that comes to you. And what Jesus wants to give to us is the training necessary that we can have the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our hearts, and it can never be removed from us. But that requires the discipline and training of dealing with all of the negative things that come at us and our choosing to look to Jesus for the strength and the power and the ability to turn aside and not be swept away. And so he says, strengthen your weak hands, strengthen your weak knees, do what is necessary so that you can withstand the assault that's coming against you. This last week, I've been praying about radio and about the cost for radio for this month because this is one of those months, almost a full $4,000. And so I'm doing this week what I always do. I go to the post office every day, and as I walk into the post office, I'm smiling. And I'm saying, Lord, I will receive today from your hand exactly what you want to give me for radio. So one day I walked in, and I opened the post office box, and there's not one letter in there. I walked out smiling, saying, Jesus, I'm receiving from your hand exactly what you want to give me. Another day I walked in, and here's a check for 300, and another check for 100, and another check for 70. I'm not any happier. I'm smiling, and I'm saying, Lord, I'll receive from your hand exactly what you'll give to me. Now, it's taken me a lot of years to be disciplined over this matter of money. Money doesn't make me unhappy, and money doesn't make me happy. 
What makes me happy is that I'm receiving from God's hand exactly what he wants me to have. That I rejoice in. So when I have little and when I have much, it's all the same. It's what he wants to give to me. And I rejoice in that. Now, do you know how much growing it took me to not go to the post office box and open it and say, Lord, there's nothing there. What am I going to do? We're going to go off air. We can't make it. Lord, why didn't you hear my prayer? And you could hear him saying, Ray, grow up. Ray, grow up. This is a maturing process of choosing purity over impurity. It's choosing to rejoice in what Jesus does in our hearts and not reject it. Lord, I pray today that as we speak in coming days and weeks about purity of heart, heart purity, that you will open this like a flower before us. And Lord, I know that before you'll bring revival, this church is going to have to have heart purity. And I know you've been working hard on each of us to bring this to pass, and I thank you for that. Lord, sometimes during sharing time, we can't even stand up and share because our hearts are so dead from the trial and the anguish and the hurt. Lord, thank you for all of that. We will receive from your hand only what you choose to give to us, and we will rejoice in heart purity before your throne. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen.